We're going to be in Luke chapter 7 this morning, so grab your Bibles and head on over to that. We'll, uh, we'll be finishing the chapter today, and then uh, next week on uh, Resurrection Sunday, or Easter as it's commonly called, uh, we'll, we'll have a one-off sermon, and then the week after that, Sam Cassie will be preaching us Jonah chapter 2, and then we'll get back into Luke chapter 8 after that. Uh, for those of you that like knowing what's coming up. So uh, <clears throat> our passage today is really interesting. Uh, we're we're going to see in this, as, as we're looking at this, we're going to see the unrestrained love uh, of a sinner who's been forgiven. And we're going to see this sneering contempt of a self-righteous man uh, as, as he looks upon her. Uh, and we're going to learn here how forgiveness transforms people's hearts uh, such that sinners begin to love the Lord. Uh, and so we're going to just jump right into it. We're going to read through the, the rest of the chapter, starting in verse 36 uh, of Luke here. So follow along with me in your own Bibles as I read. <clears throat> One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And, when, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city, who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner." And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, The one I suppose, uh, the one I suppose for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, You have judged rightly. And then turning towards the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore I tell you, her sins which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, Your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. The grass withers, the flower fades. Let's pray. Merciful Father, open our eyes this morning to learn from your word. Push away the distractions of our minds so that we may be present, truly present this morning as we worship you and as we now do so by receiving your word and as we seek to better understand what it means to be forgiven much. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the Pharisees, we, we hear their name a lot, just as a reminder. The Pharisees are a group of, of Jews, a sect, 
who focused on a life that was being lived according to their own interpretation of God's law. And it was a very restrictive interpretation of God's law. In fact, they would even add to God's law at times. There was a, one rule that was, uh, said that a man on the Sabbath, the day that he should be resting, could not carry a spoon uh, that weighed more than a fig, right? How big of a fig? I'm not sure. Um, but it weighed more than a fig. If you were to carry a spoon weighing more than that, it was considered work, and therefore you violated the Sabbath. And, and that just gives you a general idea of how the Pharisees thought. Uh, and and as, a, as such, because they were so into keeping these laws, they became notoriously prideful and self-righteous uh, as, as a group of people, as individuals even. And so by this point, we, we also know that they were actually becoming very hostile towards Jesus. And for that reason, it's kind of surprising that this particular Pharisee named Simon actually invites Jesus to his house to come and eat with him. Because that's an invite. It's a uh, friendship invite is what that accounts to. So we don't know why he did it. His motivation could have been good. It could have been bad. We're not real sure here. Uh, but we do know that Jesus accepts this invitation, just like he's accepted the invitation by so many other sinners to come and eat with him. And it wasn't just the two of them having dinner here. It's a dinner party, if you will. It's a group of people that are coming together. And all this is incredibly common at the time. In fact, it's so common that the houses of a lot of the wealthier people were designed for this. There was actually a place in the house that's like a courtyard area that was outside for the most part. It's a little bit semi-public. It'd be like... Uh, if you rented out the patio of a restaurant because you were going to have your rehearsal dinner there or some other celebration there, uh, it's sort of like that so that people on the street, they can see the party, right? They can see who's at the party, but they wouldn't just burst in and start eating the food uh, unless they'd been invited themselves. Uh, the other thing that's interesting here is that uh, the way the tables work, we tend to just picture our own culture, our own tables. That's not the way it was, though. Their, their tables were at ground level. Uh, and around it was something soft, a fabric-like stuff. And, and they would lay down on this, on this stuff so that their feet were away from the table and their, their head was towards the table. And that was the way they would eat. They'd be on their left side usually. Uh, and, and so that's kind of why she's able to get to his feet when we get to this later. Uh, but for a moment, I want you to think about this. Imagine that <clears throat> you're at a dinner party. Sorry. <clears throat> I'm losing my voice up here. You're at a dinner party in the home of some well-respected church leader, okay? Uh, he, he's invited this guest, a, a man who's just become well-known from his teaching around the place, and, and you're at this dinner party, and suddenly through the door uh, comes this woman, and she's dressed in the cultural equivalent to Julia Roberts uh, at the beginning of Pretty Woman, right? Uh, meaning it's quite obvious what her profession is. And so not only are you surprised that suddenly she showed up here, but the first thing she does, it goes right to the, to the teacher, right to the person, uh, the guest who's been invited, this well-respected Christian teacher, and she throws herself at his feet and just begins crying. That's the situation here. But, but think about this. If, if you're a guest at this party, what's going through your mind as you observe this? What do you think about her? Why do you think she's here? Now, as you're observing this, what do you think about Jesus now? Are you thinking that does he know her? Does he know her? You can imagine the assumptions going through everyone's minds there. Now, we don't know this woman's mind 
or her name rather, but, but her presence in this Pharisee's home is making things incredibly awkward. Because remember, the Pharisees, they're, they're very proud of their righteousness. And suddenly in walks this notorious sinner, this prostitute into Simon's house. See, to, to Simon and the Pharisees, they, they see this woman and they look at her as though she's an infectious disease. And so Simon is absolutely mortified because he's filled with the, 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 with the pride of reputation and this pride is quickly turning into teeth-grinding anger. He's likely having regrets and, and thinking, you know, I invited this teacher into my home and now all sorts of troubling people are showing up. You know, it kind of reminds me of uh, what Bilbo Baggin had to say, right, at the beginning of, of The Hobbit. He invites Gandalf over for tea, and uh, suddenly it results in a bunch of thieves coming into his house. And, and I've always stuck with me. I remember Bilbo asking as these thieves come into his house, what on earth did I invite him to tea for? Now, that's the idea that Simon's going through. What on earth did I invite Jesus to this meal for? And so this woman's brought with her an alabaster basker flask. It's a, a small vial that would have been filled with this oil-like ointment. Uh, it's similar to perfume. That's the way it was, it was used in the culture. You know, it's like Chanel, maybe number one, right? The original one. It's something like that. Now, she goes in there with this, and, and she's probably coming in and telling herself, right? Don't, don't cry. Don't cry. Don't cry. But, but here she is, and she can't help but cry. As she's sitting here in the presence of Jesus. As she thinks about all the ways she sinned, all the ways that she's been mistreated and, and used by others, and all the terrible decisions she's made, just this mountain of regrets in her life that she can't take back and she can't remove. And she's thinking about that, right? Now, now to understand this passage, you have to realize this is not their first interaction. We forget these things sometimes, right? She was actually forgiven before she ever entered into the home of Simon. Now, at some point, she ever heard the public teaching of Jesus, the public proclamations, or, or perhaps she had a, a conversation along the way uh, that's just simply not recorded in Scripture. But, but you've got to understand, because we, we sometimes mess this up, but th this is not the story of her conversion, it's not. It's the story of her love for Jesus because of her salvation. She knows that Jesus has forgiven her. And that is so precious that the tears just begin to pour out of her. You know, these are, these are tears of gratitude. But, but everything she's doing, and this is where it's really hard to make sense out of this sometimes, because everything she's doing is so socially inappropriate, right? And yet she just doesn't care. She didn't care at all. You know, it's a, it's a little like when, when we talk about Jesus at work because we're just passionately in love with him. Or at school. Or when we talk about him any place besides home or church, right? Out in the world. And you just don't care. It's not that you don't care about the people or God, but you don't care what they're going to think of you for doing so. You see, she's so overwhelmed by grace that she can't help but, but to express her love for Jesus to Jesus. Let me ask you something. When was the last time that, that you were overwhelmed by the grace of God for you? When was the last time you were overwhelmed by the grace of God for you? Or have you been? Have you ever been? I, I think it's 
it does us good to just slow down and, and think about this. I, I, want to, I want you to take some time and to remember your sins. The sins that could or the sins that do just haunt you. A, a, a test you cheated on. Maybe a, a lie you told to someone who trusted you. Or the pride in your heart when you self-righteously felt superior to someone else. Whether because of intelligence or athleticism or beauty or wealth. Even holiness, right? Like the Pharisees. Think about this. You know, maybe it's sexual sins that haunt you. Or the time you gossiped about a friend or an enemy. Even a stranger. I mean, think about your past, but, but, but then stop. And now think of Jesus. Think of the cross. Think of all those sins and so many more that you can't even remember, right? All those sins. Think about Jesus forgiving each and every one of your sins. In Christ, they have no weight. No weight for you to carry because they're gone. Washed away by the blood of Jesus Christ. You see, that's what this woman's experiencing here. She knows her sin is deep and dark and and that she's been shown love by Jesus and that she's been washed white as snow by the blood of Christ. And that's why now she's she's at his feet and tears are flowing uh, with love for Jesus. So then can you picture this sin? Because there's, there's no nice way to explain this, right? She is an absolute hot mess in this situation. She is crying on Jesus' feet. She is pouring this fragrant ointment on his feet. And, and suddenly she realizes, you know, I have nothing to dry his feet with. And so she takes down her hair and begins to dry his, his feet, wipe his feet with her own hair. Absolute hot mess. She, she lacks inhibitions. You see, a, a woman in that day, this is something that seems odd to us, but a woman in that day wouldn't take her hair down in a public place. She, she would do it in the presence of her husband. She would do it in the privacy of her own room, but, but, but never out in public like this. And yet here she is doing it in the presence of all these people. She so obviously doesn't belong at this dinner. And yet here she is. She's being scorned by the Pharisee because of her past, but... She's been accepted by Jesus because of her presence and because of her future in Christ. And so then Simon, having wondered, right, if Jesus was a prophet, it gives you some idea. Maybe that's why he invited him. He thought maybe he really is a prophet. Uh, and now he's absolutely sure Jesus can't be a prophet. And his reason for it is, is that uh, we see it there. He's saying it to himself. If this man were a prophet... He would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. Now we, we see here that Simon, this, this word that uses, or Simon's using for touching him, has these sensual overtones. He, he, he's making this sound as bad as he possibly can. You ever heard people do that, right? Let me explain this in the worst possible context. It's like instead of saying she's washing his feet, it's like saying she's caressing his feet. He's intentionally, cruelly using a word that is associated in the sensual context. Now, now do you remember a, a few weeks back, maybe a month ago actually, we were learning about uh, judgmentalism. And uh, <clears throat> Simon here is absolutely being judgmental because he sees himself as righteous. And he looks at this woman and he sees her as only a sinner. You know, had he thought, you know, 
Yeah, she's a sinner like me, something along those lines. Totally different story. But here what we're seeing is he's malicious and prideful and scornful towards her. And Jesus, as he's being questioned as to whether he's a prophet or not, actually hears the man's words, who you know, seems to have been under his breath to begin with, but uh, <clears throat> hears him and he responds to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. That would terrify me if I heard that. Uh, okay. He says, speak, Jesus. Speak, teacher. And so Jesus speaks, and he tells a story about two men, and both of them owe a debt. Now, a denarius is, is one day's wage for the common working man. So that's what you could earn by working all day and just common work. Uh, and, and so you put this in perspective. The one man owns, owes 50 of them, so it would take him... 50 days to be able to pay that back if he could work. The other man owes 500 denarii, and so it would take him uh, 500 days in order to pay back that. So the question, though, is, is who will love the moneylender more if the debt is forgiven? Is it the one who was forgiven the small debt, or is it the one who was forgiven the large debt? And Simon cautiously answers, you know, it's, it's the one who was forgiven the most. I suppose. Now, you see what Jesus is doing here. He's saying, sure, Simon, sure. You, you know, you've lived more righteous than this woman. We all see that. Yeah, sure. She, she's really dirty. Got that. But, but listen, Simon, you're, you're not innocent. You're not clean. You also have sin. You also have debt and you cannot pay it off. It doesn't matter if you're more righteous. As Ken Hughes so beautifully puts it, he says, the high-class moralists had the same problem as the low-class prostitute. And that's what Jesus is bringing attention here. Because listen, if you don't have the funds, it doesn't matter how much you owe, you cannot pay the debt off, right? No matter how much it is. The other point that Jesus is making in this story is that this woman loves so much because she knows how much she has been forgiven. She knows it. And then while looking at the woman, right, to draw Simon's attention back to her, away from him, and Jesus says to Simon, do you see this woman? And it seems like such a ridiculous question because, of course, he sees the woman. Everyone in the room sees the woman since the moment she walked in. No one, no one can not see her at this point. But in a deeper sense, he's showing her Simon does not see the woman. All he's seeing is a filthy sinner. Simon only sees who she was who he believes she still is. He, he doesn't see the new woman that Jesus has turned her into. One of the things I've absolutely loved about the, the men's breakfast, we've done two of them now, and, and they've been fantastic. I, I love it because we get to hear these different stories from, uh, from guys in our, our, our congregation of how God has rescued them and the way that God is transforming these men from, uh, from sin into lovers of God. And I, I love it that my son gets to hear that, you know, Craig didn't always love Jesus, but he does love Jesus now. I, I love that he gets to hear from Lance, you know, share that following Jesus isn't always easy. I love that we get to hear these stories because Jesus is transforming lives. You know, it's, it's not just a story. It's just not a, a theoretical concept. It's real. And it's happening all around us. See, all of our, our paths are so different in, in, in how and, and what sins God has saved us from. 
But we cannot deny that we are all sinners before we are adopted as children of God. And so then, when Jesus is asking him, Simon, Simon, do you see this woman? He's inviting him to look again at the woman whose presence has made Simon so angry, right? He points out something else. He points out to Simon, you know, Simon, you've shown me almost no hospitality. None. See, in Simon's day, uh, hospitality was shown to guests by being greeted with a kiss. That weirds us out, I know. But that's the way even men would would greet each other. It was uh, just a simple welcoming kiss. And then water was offered, right? Not, Not to drink the water, but because they walked there in sandals on the same road that shared with a bunch of animals that just poo as they go. You can imagine how nasty your feet are. So that was part of showing hospitality. Oil was offered for the heads of their guests. It it served in two ways. It it helped to just moisturize the skin that had been under all this sun and and stuff. But it also served like a deodorant. Welcome to my house. I know you think you stink. Take this deodorant, right? You're going to smell better while you're here. It was just a way of of greeting people, showing hospitality. So then while while Simon was worried about about himself, this woman was showing Jesus the hospitality that Simon wasn't, right? She's washing his feet with her own tears. She's ceaselessly kissing his feet. She's anointing his feet with ointment. And we're seeing she's showing what Simon does. Now, hospitality in the gospel. Hospitality in the gospel, they go absolutely hand in hand. But that's a sermon for another day. We're going to leave that there for today. Now, in verse 47 then, look at this. Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she has loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. Now, at first, this sounds like a conditional statement, right? As though the cause of the forgiveness were her love, as if that was some sort of exchange. Now, the condition of her forgiveness is not love, but faith. If there's any doubt about that, look at the very last verse in this passage, verse 50, when Jesus clearly states, your faith has saved you. So so it's not that her sins are forgiven because she loves, but rather she loves because she has been forgiven. 1 John 4.19 similarly says we love because he, meaning Jesus, first loved us. See, this, this woman loves Jesus because Jesus first loved her. But the Holy Spirit has changed this woman. And she enters into this dinner party as a grateful sinner who has found true forgiveness in Jesus Christ. Right? In, in other words, she did not earn her forgiveness by love. But rather, love is the proof of her forgiveness received at an earlier time. Or we might say it this way. You might say, I'm saying it like ten ways, right? To make sure you don't misunderstand that. We might say, love is not the cause of forgiveness. It's the confirmation of forgiveness. See, uh... In the last few summers, our, our children have been taking these sailing lessons out at Tuttle Creek. They have these little bitty boats called Opti's, and, and they get to learn all this stuff. Uh, it's only five dollars. This is my advertisement. So, if you're ever interested, you got kids in the right age group. I highly encourage. It. It's five dollars for the whole summer, not per thing. Uh, but anyway, they get to go there, and the instructors actually let you, as parents. Uh, take part in a lot of this stuff and you can learn this stuff and go out in the boats with them as well and and one of the more intriguing things I I learned was uh, about these little bitty flaps of fabric on the tail end of the the sail and there's a number of them Uh, and and they have a name anyone know what they're called you can just shout it out you remember this children putting you on the spot you don't okay you're going to remember when I say it here though Uh, it's a word that's called telltale 
Now, you know this in just our general conversations, the way we talk sometimes, right? Uh, the telltale sign is where that phrase comes from. Now, these, these flaps are so light on the sail, and they're not being pushed by the wind, uh, but they show the direction of the wind either way because they're not part of the main part of the sail. Uh, but they show you the true, right, what is really the direction of the wind at any given moment. So, so this is here why, why it connects you to this. Um, love for Jesus is a telltale sign of faith received and sins forgiven. It, it shows us, it shows us what's really happening. Love for Jesus. Is your love for Jesus growing? Or are you forgetting how much you've been forgiven and thus you're finding your love for Jesus is fading? Or, or let's consider another question. Why, why is it, if we're honest, why is it that so many Christians, professing Christians, have so little love for Jesus? Is that concerning? Here Jesus is saying, those who have been forgiven more, they love greater. Now, now let's be careful here, right? Because I think you can, re- you can hear this, right? And, and think, okay... So the solution to me loving Jesus more is I need to sin more, right? I don't want to hear how you went out and you started some crime syndicate or robbed a bank because I want to love Jesus more. I don't want to hear that, right? Um, We've all got plenty of sin. We don't need to go looking for more of it on purpose. The the solution then is, is to see how big your sins really are. To just embrace it, right? Own that. To, to again, think about your sin. To be, to be honest with just how deep your sin goes, especially once you get past those major ones, right? Think about things like your, your, your greed or jealousy uh, uh, you know, or bitter rage you had towards someone, even if you didn't act it out, or, or, or when you have had worry and fear that you've held on to instead of taking it to the Lord in prayer. Or, or, or the joy you've gotten when you've seen other people's failures, right? Things like that. Maybe you've been walking with Christ a long time. Maybe you're, you're one of those people that, you know, I never know in a day that I didn't trust Jesus. And that's wonderful. Don't ever apologize for that. That is a work that God has done in your life. That is a gift. That's what I long for my children to be able to say. Uh, and they do say to this point. Uh, but it is wonderful, Right? But I want you to know this, that you too can love Jesus much because you have been forgiven much. You have. But we've got to, to learn to, to constantly go back to the Lord asking for, for, for continuing or asking for forgiveness of sin because we're still committing sin. We are. We know it's forgiven, so sometimes we just want to brush it aside. It's okay to really, really embrace the fact, understand how, how big it has, you know, how greatly Jesus has forgiven us. You know, that's a, that's a big reason we, we put that time of confession, both corporately and uh, out loud and individually silent confession of sin into our, our liturgy. Right? It, it's not the most like fun thing to do. If we're trying to design a, you know, a service that is fun, we would probably leave that out. But, but it's a weekly reminder that I still sin. I still need God's grace. I am forgiven much, much, very much. See, the gospel is not something we, we just need once. We, we need the gospel every minute of every day. So you might be wondering then, so how do I love Jesus more? What does this look like? 
right? You can't just show up at a party he's at and pour stuff on his feet. In one sense, though, by, by thinking about him more, thinking about his holiness, his perfection, his, his sovereign grace to us, thinking about all the different aspects of Jesus, the more we know about him, the more we will love him. That means spending more time in your Bible learning about Jesus, learning about his worthiness. But we can also express our love for him and how we, we sing songs of worship with our, our hearts and minds engaged, knowing the words we're singing, thinking about them, uh, letting ourselves go emotionally there. M- making sure, you know, we're, we're, we're not just going through the motions of worship at church, that you're aware that, that, that we're singing songs about Jesus or to Jesus, that, that, that he's present hearing these. See, we can love him more by pouring out our hearts to Jesus in, in prayer with words of affection. We love him more when we, when we speak about Jesus to others, when we exhort them. You want to trust in Jesus. You want to know Jesus. We can love him more when we, we see what he desires of our lives, and we do seek obedience. We seek to conform our lives to that. You see, there's, there's a difference between the woman of the city and, and, and Simon here that we sometimes miss, right? Because the story throws you off. Because in the story, both people are forgiven. Um, but, but what we're seeing here in reality is that, or in, in, in the actual situation Jesus is speaking to, uh, ultimately the, the quantity of their sin is not the, the, the huge significance. The, the difference is not simply that her great was deader, but real, or greater, but really that she's the only one of them between the two of them who has been forgiven. That, that's why Jesus says to her, your sins are forgiven. She already knows that. And this is a confirmation to her, right? As a, again, a reminder, just like after the confession of sin, we, we have the affirmation of faith to remind you, your sin is forgiven in Christ. It, it's a confirmation to her, but, but Simon is right there, and Jesus is saying this for him to hear. The opposite is also true. Simon, your sins are not forgiven. And as this passage comes to an end, then we... We finally hear from the other people at the meal, at the party. Who knows what's going through their minds at this point. But, 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 but we start them start to say things. You know, who is this who even forgives sins? And that's the question everyone has to answer, right? Who, who is Jesus? And then finally, Jesus sends this woman away with these words. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. We, we live in a sin-ravished world filled with suffering, filled with sickness, filled with death, violence, all sorts of nasty stuff. And, stuff. and so, you know, we, we, we can only have peace, tr- true peace, when we know our sins have been forgiven. When, when we know, truly know that we're eternally saved. We, we can only live in peace when we receive the gift of faith from the Lord of life. Now, we look at these two people in this, this historical story here, and we relate to either the Pharisee or the prostitute in the story. See, the, the difference between them is, is how they view themselves and how they view Jesus. Simon views himself as righteous, and he views Jesus as a, a, a filthy embracer of the sinful woman. But the woman views herself as a sinner and, and Jesus as a glorious Savior, her glorious Savior. Now, so then I, I want you to take a moment and just think. 
right? We've done that a few times already. I want you to do it one more time. Are, are you more like this woman or are you more like Simon the Pharisee? We all know who we want to be more like, right? It's weird, but you want to be like the prostitute here, right? You know that's the right answer. So the question, though, is who do you really function more like? Do you bow to Jesus with love because your sins have been forgiven? Or do you scornfully look at worse sinners thinking they don't deserve to be forgiven because of the poor decisions they've made in their life? Or because their sin is worse than yours or grosser than yours? I mean, do you, do, you look from the, the, uh, do you look from the homeless drug addict begging outside of Walmart and just look away from him? You scorn him in your mind? How do you talk about the classmate who's been living a sexually depraved lifestyle? Is there grace in your words? Do, do you interact with the, uh, or rather, how do you interact with the openly gay couple down the street from you? Or do you just not talk to them? Do you, you shun them in some, some sense? Do you feel morally superior to your atheist brother who shows up at every family gathering and mocks Christianity? You know, in all these, do you find yourself praying for their salvation or just being annoyed at them for being who they are? Does it ever occur to you that that could just as easily be you had Jesus not saved you, not loved you, not given you faith? And I ask this because when we meet people like this, we, we, we should be looking for ways to tell them about Jesus. Not, not assuming that, that, you know what, they're, they're a lost cause. How, how we answer these questions privately in our mind, because we all know how to answer them out loud, right? But privately in our own minds, is, it's a good indication of how well we understand the power of the Holy Spirit and, and how well we understand the irresistible grace of God. With God, there is no such thing as a lost cause. So we don't know what ultimately happens to Simon. But we know that Jesus gave the invitation recorded in Matthew eleven twenty eight to Simon as he does to all sinners. When he says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. It's the picture we see with this woman here. This woman lacks poise. She lacks a good reputation. She lacks a clean history. She now lacks a bottle of ointment. But she has love for Jesus. She, she has faith. She has forgiveness. Now, she went to Jesus heavy laden, and, and, and he gave her faith. He gave her rest. And he, and he sends her out into the world with peace that surpasses all understanding. The Lord Jesus will do the same for us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, oh, what a joy it would be just for a moment to lay at the feet of our Lord. Give us hearts that respond to salvation with that kind of love. We thank you for your mercy and your grace in the giving of faith. We also ask that the massive and exhaustive forgiveness that we have received from your hands, that it would stir us up to, to love you and to love others no matter their history. We long to see you work in their lives, to, to transform them from wherever they've been to follower of you who can rest in your grace. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.